preach to you today about the fast and the feast. I was reading a book of sermons by a, a preacher who's no longer alive. He, he died in a tra- tragic car accident in 1977. And his name is Verbal Bean. And a very, very unique uh, individual, very uh, powerful writings. And um, I was reading through different sermons that he preached in a, um, a church in Laurel, Mississippi, about some 50 years ago, 60 years ago. And uh, and I was reading through his book. He was sharing of a story uh, from his childhood. And in his childhood, he was um, reminiscing about his father. And his relationship with his father uh, was interesting for his mom was on fire for God. His mom was passionate about God. His mom was a preacher. And when when it would be in church services and they would be uh, altar time, verbal being would try to plead with his father to go to the altar. Dad, would you go to the altar and just pray? Would you would you go to the altar? I, I, I want you to go to heaven. And the the father would tell his child uh, verbal. He would say, no, I'm I'm all right. Everything's fine. Don't don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. And he would do this time after time. He would uh, uh, grow up praying for his father as a child. And then one, the last conversation he had was his father. And his father says, you know, son, it will, if, it, when I die and if I don't make it to heaven, it will be nobody's fault but mine if I die lost. And that was the last statement and conversation Verbal Bean had with his father. And the last word he heard was lost. And in this sermon, he begins to talk about the word lost, how it is the word, worst word in the world, lost. To die from this life and to enter into eternity and to miss heaven and to spend the rest of your eternity of your soul in hell, a place of darkness, pain, flame, torment and that is his last memory of his father lost whether you know this or not as we talk about the fast and the feast all of us are fasting and feasting simultaneously not so much in regards to food though we are in 40 days of prayer and fasting i'm not so much talking about the literal fast from a dish or a meal of food. But all of us are always fasting simultaneously. The consumption in this life. We are either fasting from the things of God or we are fasting from the things of this world. We are either feasting on the things of this world or we are feasting on the things of God. Now listen very carefully. If we choose to feast on this world, we are going to fast in eternity. But if we choose to fast from this world, we are going to feast in eternity. Now, I ask you here today, which would you rather have? Would you rather voluntarily fast in this temporal world from the things of this world? Or would you rather be on a forced fast on the wrong side of eternity. 
where there is no comfort, there is no meal, there is no water to quench the torment of your dry tongue as you scream out for mercy, hoping to find it never to. We fast in hope that they'll fast. That's the reason why this church is on a 40-day fast is because we fast in hope that one day those outside the walls of this church will feast at the marriage supper of the Lamb with Jesus Christ. There's a table spread in heaven where the saints of God are fed. And you can hear the voice of the Master crying, Come and dine. Jesus Christ himself spreading a table for all of humanity and all mankind to sit and dine with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I turn our attention to Luke chapter 16 and verse 19. If you would turn there with me, there was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen, who lived each day in luxury. The Bible says at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores as Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table. The dogs would come and lick his open sores. Finally, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. We ought to plan and prepare our funeral right now. Who would you like to be your pallbearers? I hope one day, though I might die poor, I have angelic hosts being my pallbearer, taking my soul up into eternity. Someone say, praise the Lord. And his soul went to the place of the dead. There in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham. Have some pity. Send Lazarus over here just so he can dip the tip of his finger in water and he could come back and let one drop fall from his finger and land on my parched tongue for a momentary uh, a relief from the pain and the dryness and the soreness in my body. For I am in anguish in these flames. Jesus giving this parable, if Jesus did not want us to believe or think about a hell, he would never use hell as a parable. I believe Jesus is all loving, all merciful. He's so pleasant. He's so kind. He's so wonderful. He's so tender. He's so gracious. But also do know the Bible says in Romans eleven twenty two, there is the goodness and the severity of God. God cannot be good if he does not take care of that which is unjust and evil and anything that would not be in compliance with God is in defiance with God and will God forbid face eternity in a place outside of heaven which we know as hell and in verse 25 Abraham says to him son remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted Lazarus had nothing so now he is here being comforted and you are in anguish And besides this, there is a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here, and no one can cross over to us from there. Then the rich man said, please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home. For I have five brothers, and I want him to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. 
And Abraham said, Moses, the prophets, or what we would say, they have the Bible. Your brothers can read the Bible that is written for them. And he replied back to him and said, the rich, he said, no, Father Abraham, the Bible, it's too complicated. It's too thick. It's too hard to understand. It's just writing. But perhaps maybe if you would resurrect someone from the dead or send an angelic presence to them, my five brothers would repent from their sins and turn to God. But Abraham says, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophet, if they won't listen to this Bible that is made available to them today, they won't listen to someone that even rises from the dead. In this parable, this story that Jesus gives about the rich man and the poor man, he's not highlighting the fact of the evil of rich in the the, the, the grace of poor, because if that's the case, if you, you could earn your salvation by just going broke or you could you could lose your salvation by getting too much money. That is not the purpose of this parable, but it's just showing two different extremes of one person that had everything that you could taste of in this life that of pleasure and goodness and in and, 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 uh, euphoria and ecstasy. And then you have the opposite end where this man, he couldn't even afford to enjoy anything. And he had sores all over his body and, and dogs would lick him. And you have these two opposing uh, uh, realms in life. But see, God does not confine eternal salvation to how much money you have, what you do have or what you don't have. It is for everybody. If you would simply open up the word of God and do what the word is telling us to do. And you may look in this world today as you're trying to live faithfully for God. And you seem you seem like, man, there's my life is full of sores. My life is full of drama. And then you got this these people that are enjoying all the, the, the things of this life that are contrary to the Bible. They're just living wasted. They're living high. They're just sleeping around. They're just, you know, they're just cursing God. And they just seem like everything's working out for them. Know this. It's all going to come out in the wash at the end. I know what you're going through seems like a long time right now, but it pales in comparison into the eternal balances that are set in heaven. God will place us on those balances and God's going to weigh everything. God knows everything and every secret area of our life. In this book, I was reading from Verbal Bean in the sermons. I don't know which one it was, but he used to work at a lab in Houston, and they would work in this laboratory, and they, had, uh, they, they were very meticulous about weighing precise measurements of different items. And so they were showing him how to use these scales, and this is back in, in the, the 60s, 70s. And they took a piece of paper and placed it on the scale, and it had a weight for it. And then they took that off of the scale, and they said, go ahead and write your signature. And so he took a pencil, and he wrote his signature, and they placed that paper back on the scale, and his signature had a weight to it. Just a pencil on a paper. And then they said, go ahead and, and take that off, and why don't you just dot, uh, just put one dot on there if there was an I in your name. And so he put one dot on the paper, placed it back on the scale, and it weighed the dot on that piece of paper on the scale. If mankind knows how to document, measure, and weigh every little detail in this world, I promise you, the scales in heaven are very 
accurate. God sees every secret thing in this world. And God is faithful to see your labor of love. I promise you, if you are turning down anything from this world, if you are fasting from this world, or what I mean is if you're pushing away from giving into your flesh, saying, you know what, God, alcohol has led me down a dark road and it's just hurt my life. I'm pushing away from it. Man, this drug, it was fun while it lasted. I had a good time, but I'm pushing away. I'm no longer is in that in my life. You know, I've enjoyed going from relationship to relationship, but it always meets a certain point and I end up broken hearted and also I end up in a tangle of someone else's drama. God, I don't want that anymore. I'm pushing away from this world. I'm tired of feasting on the pleasures of this life. And God, I want to start feeding on the things that are eternal, things that are meaningful, things that are full of power, mercy and love. Come on, would you lift your voice to the Lord? Someone say, praise the Lord. In Amos chapter 8 and verse 10, we read, the Lord speaking, he says, I will turn your celebrations into times of mourning, your singing into weeping. You will wear funeral clothes and shave your heads to show your sorrow. As if your only son had died. How very bitter that day will be. The time is surely coming. You could take this to heart. You could take it to the bank. You could jot this down right now. As sure as this is written and as sure as you could hear my voice, this shall come to pass. The time is going to come, says the sovereign Lord. I will send a famine on the land. Right now, the land seems to be feasting and enjoying and they're eating and drinking and being married and given into marriage. But there's not going to be a famine of that because that's going to run rampant. But there's going to be a famine, not of bread and not of water. The world's feasting on these things right now. But there is going to be a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. We're finding ourselves in a day and an age where you ask people and they simply do not know what the word of the Lord is. They arrive in churches that won't even use the scripture or the word of the Lord or come to theologies and doctrines and assumptions of what they think life and death is all about. But I'm telling you we need the word of the Lord that is the only thing we could ever feast on people are going to stagger when this time comes they're going to travel from sea to sea they're going to wander from border to border they're going to go from county to county they're going to go from building to building searching for the word of the Lord but they will not find it they will not find it because people are growing more interested in the feast of this life and the pleasures of this life and not interested in God's word. But I promise you the day is going to come after your belly swells and you lay back on the lazy boy and you feel sick to your stomach after all the fornication, after all the deception, after all the anger, after all the bitterness, after all the divorce, after all the anarchy. You are going to have your fill and you're going to sit there with an upset stomach and say, oh, I just need something that's actually not going to let me down. I need something that's going to not leave me with a hangover. I need something I can wake up and feel good about. I'm going to need something that can satisfy my soul. I want you to know you got good news today. 
you have found yourself in a building. You have found yourself in a location that is rich in the word. You have found yourself in a location that says, this is thus saith the Lord. There's not one error in the Bible. There's not one mistake in the Bible. There's not one regret in the Bible. There's not one letdown in the Bible. I'm telling you, we serve a God who is faithful, a God who is true. And everything he said he will do, he'll do for you. Uh, if you're here today, see, the bad news is there's a, a whole land of people. They're young, they're strong, they're beautiful, but they're growing faint because they're thirsting for the Lord's word. They have all the money. They have all the pleasure. They have all the friends, but they're getting fainter and fainter as the day goes. And the people in this room here today, I want you to know if you're a guest and you, you, you may draw a false assumption. If you see people in a shirt and tie that they got it all together and they think they can't understand. I'm telling you, you're looking at people that came out of pornography. You're looking at people that came out of marijuana. You're looking at people that came out of meth. You're looking at people who came out of pill addiction. You're looking at people who marriages were put back together. I'm telling you, it's by the grace of God, I am who I am. We're here today because a loving God said, I do have word. If you're hungry and you look for it, you can find it. And I'm telling you, God wants to quench your thirst today. And those that I'm talking to that have a testimony, you know what I'm saying to you. You know it's true that you had your fill, but you were getting weary and more weary as the day went. Some of you that are here today that you know are, are newer to the church or your guests to the church, you know what I'm saying is true right now. You absolutely know what I'm telling you is right. It's the reason why you're in this building. Because you've been in other buildings. You've been in other locations that you can have your fill. You can have your thrill. But at the end of it, you know that you're just getting weaker and weaker and more faint. But you are in a place that has a well, that has no bottom, that is full and running over. And you can access the waters of life who God gives freely. If you would like to access access that today. Would you lift your hands and would you lift your voice and say, Jesus, I need that water. Jesus, I need that life flowing spring. feel such a burden on my heart right now. I feel the presence of the Lord so strong in this place right now. If I could tangibly paint a picture for you right now, it's as if I see the arm of God reaching down, trying to help you dig into that well that he wants you to tap into today. Jesus told the devil, no. That's what we need to tell the devil. No. Devil, you are wrong. Shut your mouth. And I want to know what thus saith the Lord. And so Jesus quoted the scriptures and he says, people do not live by bread alone, but they live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You could try to live full. You can have the finest dining, but until you taste and see that the Lord is good, this is better than wonder bread. I'm telling you, this will fill every depth of your soul. If you would just bite in to the word of God. In 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 6, the preacher told Saul, who is not a king, he was just a nobody at the time, and he gave him some specific instruction. He says, the spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you, and you're going to talk different. You're going to prophesy. 
and you will be changed into a different person. And this is what the Lord has laid on my heart, that there would be people here today that you've never verbalized it, but you know it's in your heart and your mind. I want to be a different person. Heed to the preaching of the word today. The spirit of the Lord is going to come powerfully upon you. And you're not going to be the same. You're not going to speak the same. And these signs that take place, these signs are going to take place. These signs are going to follow them that believe. And when God begins to give evidence of his spirit filling you, you are going to have to do what you got to do. And you're going to be able to do it. You know why? Because God's with you. You couldn't do it before. You couldn't break this sin cycle before. You couldn't break the alcohol before. You couldn't break the addiction before. You couldn't find joy before. But now God's saying, do what you want to do. I'm telling you, you're going to find that joy because God is with you. And if God be for you, it doesn't matter what is against you. I wonder if there's somebody here today that that would be your prayer in 2018. I want, Lord, to be a different person. If that is your heart's cry, would you signal that by lifting up your hands to heaven and reaching to God and trying to grab the atmosphere right now and say, Lord Jesus Christ, I want to be different today. I want to be changed today. I want to be transformed today. Would you clap your hands to the Lord? If you're wondering if it's too late, let me just give you a little insight of a conversation of Jesus. Jesus said, there's more than enough room in my father's house. Man, it ain't too crowded. There's an old song, there's room at the cross for you. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. For there's room at the cross for you. I'm telling you right now, though millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions, billions, I have no idea what the, the history is of people that have turned their life to God and been born again. But I'm letting you know right now, Jesus says, there's still room. There's plenty of room for you in heaven. And look at this. He says, if it wasn't so, I wouldn't have told you that. I don't tease you. I'm not playing games with my words. I'm telling you, I personally am preparing a place for you. He's the wise master builder. And Jesus said, when everything's ready, I'm going to come and get you. And I don't really hear all that much hammering going on anymore. I don't hear a lot of bulldozers in heaven anymore. I'm telling you, the time of construction is just about finished. Jesus is ready to come and get you because the mansion's ready. The housing's ready. We don't got much longer say, well, maybe next year or maybe next month or maybe somewhere down the road, Brother Paul. I'm telling you, the work in heaven's just about done. All the electrical work, he doesn't have to install that because Jesus is the light that is going to be up there in heaven. It's going to be an everlasting day. So Jesus doesn't have to do electrical work. Jesus doesn't have to put thermostats installed in those mansions. It's going to be perfect temperature year-round, unlike South Dakota. I'm telling you right now, Jesus is getting ready to come back. Is anyone wanting to be ready? Whoo, Jesus. Jesus. Can we lift our voices? Come on, can you lift your voices? Jesus. 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 Uh, I think really the only thing Jesus is doing right now, I think he's got all the accommodations set. 
And the sign at Hotel Jesus says vacant. There's lots of room. The only thing he's probably doing right now is preparing a table. Jesus said before he died and was crucified, he said, I'm not going to eat this meal as he was having the last supper with the disciples as we took communion last week. He says, I'm not going to eat this until, until. When I come back and get you guys, that's the next time I'm going to eat. And when you turn to the back of the Bible in the book of Revelation, Jesus said, blessed are they which are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. You need to choose today. Do you want to fast or do you want to feast? Or maybe with the understanding, you know that you are fasting and you are feasting. But are you fasting from the right thing? Are you feasting on the right thing? What are you abstaining from would be another way to put it. The Bible says abstain from the appearance of evil. There's just some things I abstain from because I don't even want to be related to that. I, I want to fast and separate and distinguish myself as much as I can from the world. But I'm still in the world. I'm going to reach people in the world. I'm going to love them. I'm not going to judge them and look down on them and think I'm better than them. That's never the point of what Jesus is saying. But what he's saying is you better choose a good fast. You better fast in this world, and you better feast on the Word of God. You better feast in prayer. You better feast in the things concerning the kingdom of God because there is a marriage supper, and that's when Jesus is going to eat again. Think about this. 2,000 years, Jesus has been fasting. And you think 40 days is a long time. 2,000 years of fasting. He's fasting in hopes that you'll feast. That's the heart of Jesus. I'm fasting in hopes that one day I'm going to have a group of people here that I'm going to feast with. Oh, we can imagine what would it be like to be the disciples at that, that last supper eating with Jesus. You know what? You can find out. You can find out. And I'm telling you, there's going to be no spread like it ever when we get to heaven and sup with God. Last portion of Scripture, John 4. The story, the context here is Jesus is at a well at the most inopportune time to be there because it's just ungodly hot. Nobody goes and gets water at this time, but this woman does it because she's ashamed of her lifestyle. And so Jesus approaches this woman at the well while the disciples go get something to eat back in town. So Jesus talks to the woman, and he says, please give me a drink. I just, I'd like a drink. And Jesus was alone at this time. Because the disciples went to the village to buy some food. Look at this story here that happened. It's about food and drink. And the woman was a little surprised because Jews didn't talk to the Samaritans. And Jesus said, or she said to Jesus, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? In verse 10, Jesus said, if you only knew the gift that God has for you. Sorry that something disconnected up above. But listen very closely. Jesus said in verse 10, if you only knew the gift that God has for you. And that's what God wants you to understand. There is a gift he has for you. And if you knew who you were speaking to, if you knew where you were sitting, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Jesus asked her for a drink and then the woman's surprised, why are you talking to me? And he said, if you knew the gift that God had for you, you would be asking me 
to give you water that is called living water. And she says, you don't have a rope. You don't have a bucket. You know, uh, uh, how on earth are you going to be able to, to draw any water? This well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? Besides, you think, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? And Jesus said, listen very close. I'm just about done. Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. See, you could drink all you want of the best of this world, but you're going to thirst again. You could have the best life has to offer, but hear me, you're going to thirst again. And those who drink the water I give, Jesus said, will never thirst again because it becomes a fresh bubbling spring within you, giving you eternal life. Jesus said, if you would stop feasting on this world and you start feasting on what I have to offer, my water is better than their water. For my water is living water. And not only is it just a water drink that you have and it sits there like a puddle, he says it literally becomes a bubbling spring. See, when God is in your life, God doesn't sit dormant. God is active. The word of God is quick. It's alive. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. When you really get God consumed into your life, he is an ongoing, consuming fire that cannot be quenched. Oh, it's a wonderful thing when you taste and see that the Lord is good. And so this woman says, I want this drink. Does anyone want that drink here today? Would you wave your hand? How many would like that drink here today? It's for you. Amen. God's about to give someone something to drink. He says, go get your husband, lady. And the lady says, oh, I don't have a husband. So she thinks she's like, ah, oh, I found you out. You're just another religion peddler. And Jesus responds, well, you're right. You don't have a husband. In fact, you've had five husbands. And the one you're shacking up with right now, he's not your husband. And all of a sudden, see, Jesus sees things that no one else sees. And she said, you must be a prophet. And he goes, why, why do the Jews insist that Jerusalem's only in this place of worship, while Samaritans claim it to be in this mountain where our ancestors worship. And Jesus said, believe me, dear woman, the time's coming will it no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. Now listen, you Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. They, they claimed, to, they, they, they did, they, their, their, their desire was towards Jehovah. And, and so they worshiped the one. But he says, you know very little about that one. And here's where we're at in society right now. There's a lot of Christians that worship Jesus, but they know very little about Jesus. A lot of people claim faith in Jesus, but they know very little about Jesus. And I'm telling you right now, God has shifted things saying where you can now know and you could tap into this well because Jesus said the time is coming. Indeed, it's here right now. There's going to be true worshipers worshiping the Father in spirit and in truth because God is looking for those people to worship him that way. For God is a spirit and those that worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Let's stand together. God is wanting you. Not a religious format, not a ceremony, not a ritual, not a tradition. Jesus didn't offer this woman tradition. He offered her truth. 
And that's what I'm trying to offer you here today. Whatever you think you know about church, whatever you think you know about religion, and, you know, you grew up and you recited all this stuff and all whatever, however you grew up, I'm not mocking it, I'm not insulting it, I'm not making you feel inferior whatsoever. But like Jesus said, you know very little about the one you worship. But today that's going to change. Because I'm going to help you drill deep and tap into that living well that's going to flow from within you and it's going to flow out of you. That's what God is offering to somebody here today. And check this out. I wish I wish you could see on the screen, but I apologize. It went out. John 4.31. While Jesus is having this conversation with the lady, the lady runs back to the city to go tell people about what just happened. While that's happening, the disciples come back. And here's what the disciples tell Jesus. Rabbi, eat something. And Jesus tells them, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. It started off on a conversation of food, and it's ending on a conversation of food. That's usually how fasting goes. And so Jesus was fasting this season. He was without food in the hopes that this lady will feast. And so while he's without, the disciples come back. See, here, Jesus, we got some food for you. And he says, I, I've, been, I've, been, I've been eating things you don't even understand. And so they asked themselves, did someone bring Jesus some food while we were gone? And Jesus answered and said, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me. I'm telling you, if you feel like you're not being fed, start doing the will of God. And oh boy, it feels good. It's, there's nothing like doing the will of God. There's nothing like feasting on the things of God. I know some people paint religion and, and church as some dead, dry, ho-hum thing, but I'm telling you right now, if you tap into the actual springs of living water and you begin to do the will of God, you can't help but enjoy. You can't help but feast on the things of God. I'm telling you here today, I implore you, put down your drink and pick up his drink. Push away from the table of this world and come and dine where the master is calling. Jesus is saying, come on, somebody. Who wants to feast? Who wants to dine on the things of God? If you're here today and you would like to dine at the master's table, this front area that we call the altar is open. We would love for you to approach it. We're going to pray in just a second. But if you would like to pray or be prayed for and say, God, I want to change my diet. I want to stop feasting on this world and I want to fast from this world. And I want to stop my feasting from you, God. And I want to start taking in everything I can of you, God. If that is you right now in your heart, would you step forward right now? Would you come to this altar? The Holy Ghost is here. The presence of Almighty God is in this place right now. God is wanting to do something special in somebody's life here today. Hallelujah. 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 I'm going to give you some instruction. Very simple here. Here's how fasting and feeding works, feasting works. If you're here and you know you're, you're, just, you're, you're feasting on the wrong things and you want to start fasting, here's how I want to instruct you. I want you to begin to just talk to God audibly. It's very important you speak audibly because if you just do it mentally in your head, your mind wanders very easily and you can't focus. 
And then also when you confess, the Bible says, it's bringing your thoughts into words. You're, you're releasing what is within you. God can't fill what is full. But when you speak out loud and pray, you are emptying yourself. And as you empty yourself, God fills you. And that river of living water that flows, that God enters into your belly and flows out of your mouth, it can't, you don't want to have your mouth shut when that river's flowing. It don't work that way. You got to have that mouth open worshiping God. And that's how the river flows out. That's how you're filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. But here's what I want us to do for the next few moments here. I want us to begin to push away from that table that we've been feasting at that we know is disappointing us and say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I've been eating the wrong thing. I've been drinking the wrong thing. I've been sitting at the wrong table with the wrong people. You ever been at a, a, a dining setting? You're like, man, I don't want to be here. It's just uncomfortable. It's not good. I remember one time I, sat at, I was at a fast food restaurant. I was, I was, I was, I was, I was. I was doing some outreach in Indianapolis, and I got some guys to help me move my stuff. And they're gang members. And we were at a, a table, and uh, as we're sitting, we're outdoors. All of a sudden, this car squeals in, and, and, and all this, uh, these guys jump out of the car, and they pull out guns, and they start having them pointing towards us. I'm like, I'm at the wrong table. I didn't have to think very long. I knew I was at the wrong table. Hopefully, God spoke to you during this time. And you felt guilt in your heart. That guilt is called conviction. And what that conviction is, the best thing you could feel, is God letting you know about something and say, now I want to help you. If you never feel guilt or conviction, then you're in a dangerous place because you don't know that something is wrong. But when God starts dealing with your heart, he's letting you know it's wrong. The only reason why he's letting you know it's wrong, not to rub your nose in it, but to lift you up and say, let me help you with it. That's the power of conviction. And so what God is putting on your heart and your mind right now, I want you in just a moment to begin to say, God, I am sorry. I've been sitting at the wrong table with the wrong company. Lord, I have been drinking too much. God, I've been smoking too much. God, I've been cussing too much. God, I've been lying too much. God, I've been so violent. God, I've been unfaithful. God, I've been dishonest with people. God, I have unforgiveness in me. God, I have bitterness in me. I'm tired of feasting on these things. I'm tired of feasting on pills. I'm tired of feasting on meth. I'm tired of feasting on hatred. I'm tired of feasting on sexuality. I'm tired of feasting on these things, God. Lord, I feast, I fast from this table, and I get to this table. I want to sit down where you're at, Jesus. And I want to start feasting on the Bible. I want to start feasting in prayer. I want to start feasting at church. I want to start feasting with the people of God. I want to change my environment. I want to change my atmosphere. I want to change my company. I want new friends that sit at Jesus's table because those people are the people that you saved. And I want to be saved. Does that make sense to anybody? That's what we're going to do right now. It's called repentance. It's going this way at this table and saying, I think I'm going to go to a different table. And you sit down where Jesus is at and you tell Jesus, Jesus, I'm sorry it's taking me so long to get to this table. I'm sorry for eating over there. I'm sorry for drinking over there. I'm sorry for spending so long over there. I'm sorry for ignoring you. I'm sorry for rejecting you. I'm sorry for taking you lightly. And I promise you, once you get to that table, you'll realize the spread is so much better. It's going to be so much. It's like going from bologna to a flaming young you are it's going to be a world of difference and you will say man where has this been all my life and god brought you here for this moment right now can we lift our hands if that's what you want to do you don't have to lift them sky high because i know your arms get tired after a while but just lift your hands a little bit right now and would you begin to cry out to jesus come on talk to him right now jesus jesus i'm sorry god 
That's it. Come on. I'm sorry, Jesus. I've been eating at the wrong table. I've been eating the wrong things. I've been drinking the wrong things. Lord, I've been feasting on this world and I've been fasting from heaven. And I'm sorry, Jesus. Today I choose to change. I will fast from this world and I will feast at your table, God.